0: Hello, you're listening to uh, On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. A few days ago, U.S. National Security Advisor Jack Sullivan visited Israel. The visit was uh, considered a success in terms of easing tensions between Jerusalem and Washington. From his discussion with the Israelis, it appears that uh, the two sides are not so far apart in their assessment of the situation. More precisely, the American take on the faltering attempts to move ahead in negotiations with Iran on its nuclear program is very similar to Israel's take. The differences, (laughs) which aren't major, lie in the question of what should be done if the negotiations collapse. A senior Israeli security source told Al-Monitor last week that in this regard, the Americans are in what he called a state of strategic embarrassment. Sullivan's visit uh, put an end to an unofficial White House boycott of the Prime Minister's office in Jerusalem over the leaked conversation between Secretary of State Blinken and Prime Minister Bennett earlier this month, which Israeli media described as tough. According to Channel 13 News, President Biden failed to return Bennett's call for several several weeks in order to get back at him for using Blinken. To score domestic political points by presenting himself as refusing to give in to the American pressure. For now, the approach advocated by defense and foreign ministers Gantz and Lapid seems to be defeating Bennett's approach to relations with the U.S., which is clearly influenced by his former patron Benjamin Netanyahu. The Americans punched Bennett on the nose, a senior Israeli uh, official admits. Now everyone is even. This source adds that Israel will continue to argue and even fight with the Americans behind closed doors, but would outwardly maintain unity because, as he says, we are all in the same boat and Israel doesn't have any other America. Today's guest represents the militant approach. We'll call it the Netanyahu approach on what Israel should be doing regarding Iran and ties with the United States. Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Kuperwasser is currently director of the Project on Regional Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center. He was formerly director general of the Israeli Ministry of Strategic Affairs and head of the Research Division of Military Intelligence. Kuperwasser recently Got back from a round of talks in Washington and he joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor.
1: And I'm Joe Snell, I'm Al Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sit through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Almonitor help you. If you care
0: about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Almonitor's audio series On the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms.
1: And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com.
0: As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the
1: world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis.
0: Now I'm very uh, privileged to uh, say hello to uh, Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Kuperwasser, who is currently Director of the Project on Regional Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center, and formerly Director General of the Israeli Ministry of Strategic Affairs and Head of the Research Division of Military Intelligence. Yossi Kuperwasser, thank you for joining us, and shalom.
1: Thank you, Ben, for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: So let's begin with the question that I'm asking uh, all uh, my guests here, most of them. What is the preferable option, in your view, among all those on the table right now? A return to the original Iran deal, a more limited agreement of less for less, a pointless status quo, or a
1: collapse of negotiations? Well, unfortunately, none of them is a good uh, option from uh, Israel's point of view in my mind. And the option that should have been on the table, which is a better, longer, stronger agreement that guarantees that Iran will not be able to produce nuclear weapons in the future uh, is not right now on the table, you're right. So out of the options that uh, you put uh, in front of me, I'll take the uh, option of the collapse of negotiations because uh, this brings us back to a situation where Iran is trying to get one nuclear bomb and has in front of it a very uh, dangerous threshold that it has to cross on its way to having this one nuclear bomb. Uh, The way to having it today is better and uh, easier than it used to be 10 years ago when we last dealt with such a situation. But uh, it's still a problematic way that they have to course on the way to, to having this first nuclear bomb or first nuclear device. And, uh, and in this respect, I think it's very, very important to understand uh, what what is the real meaning of the other options. The option of going back to the uh, original JCPOA is much more dangerous because it allows Iran to reach eventually, in 10 years from now, maybe even less, a situation where there's no threshold and it has enough fissile material uh, to produce a big arsenal of nuclear weapons, up to 100 or so nuclear weapons at, this, uh, at a very short period of time. So, and that uh, being done with Iran enjoying a lot of money that enables us to become uh, the hegemon power in the Middle East, even before it has the nuclear weapon and uh, has the entire, capabilities necessary to produce this nuclear weapon, be it from the point of view of uh, enrichment, be it from the point of view of the delivery system, the the missiles, that uh, the agreement doesn't put any limits on uh, Iran's capability to produce them, and be it uh, from the point of view of weaponization, because we see that Iran is making progress on weaponization as we speak. And I'm sure that uh, the Iranians uh, have made quite considerable progress in uh, dealing with the uh, challenge of weaponization, which was the major challenge that the crash program back in 2001 to 2003 was uh, trying to solve. So uh, I'm I'm quite afraid of this idea of going back to the JCPOA as it was. The lesson less for less is even worse because it means that uh, Iran will be able to enjoy all the benefits without taking upon itself the limits of that at least exist in the, in the beginning of the JCPOA. So it's even worse than that. And the status quo is dangerous because what Iran is doing in the status quo and, and ongoing negotiations is that it uh, uses it in order to accumulate big amounts of uh, 60% enriched uranium or 20, 20% enriched uranium, which make it makes it very easy for it to uh, cross into uh, several uh, bombs within a short period of time. So they are trying now to to use this status quo in order to... And they are saying, we are not going to cross the 60%, but they are going to accumulate a lot of... Uh, so, rich uranium of 60%. And are, we all know that... So the, actually... Uh, the difference say, between 60 and 90 is very short.
0: You say they are earning time. By the way, they announced, uh, I think during the weekend, that they're not going, even though there is no agreement, uh, for the time being, they're not going to enrich uranium, uranium more to a level yeah. more than 60%. But I, no, it's I, right. I, I, yes, I know it's, it's very easy to come from a 60 to, to 90. And I hear from our experts on our side that actually in the uh, enrichment uh, uh, issue, they are already there. It's now just a, a, a question of a decision. Uh, they have to yeah. decide. But, but I, I want to, to, to ask you something about something that you just said and I heard it, that they are making progress as we speak in the issue of weaponization. And we, I know from my sources, and it's not only me, that the weaponization issue is stuck, that they, they did not make the, the, the substantial uh, jump that they did in the, uh, the, the uranium enrichment. So are you sure that right now they are trying to, 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 to make a breakthrough in weaponization?
1: Yes, well, first of all, uh, what I can speak about is what they do. Okay. And uh, we all know that what, one of the things they're doing right now is producing uranium metal. They take it uh, from uranium enriched to 20%, not 90%, because they don't have officially uranium enriched to 90%, but basically it's the same process. So for the first time, we know that the Iranians are producing uranium metal. Now, there's no other purpose for which people would produce uranium metal without, except for producing nuclear weapons. So uh, obviously this is uh, something that is a critical uh, process that has to uh, be done in the context of the weaponization. And they are doing it openly right now. And nobody says anything. I mean, everybody says something, but nobody really uh, demands them to stop it. So it's, uh, they gain experience and uh, tackle all kinds of problems that can emerge when you yeah. do that uh, as we speak. So secondly, I'm, I'm, glad,
0: I'm glad we said it. Ah, secondly, okay.
1: Secondly, uh, there is no, uh, according to the JCPOA, and uh, definitely not now, there is no uh, monitoring and supervision over what the uh, experts, the scientists are doing. So uh, I'm sure that uh, this is what they're doing right now because producing uranium enriched to 60% without at the same time making some progress on the issues of weaponization is, is simply stupid. And I wouldn't dare to blame the Iranians for being stupid. So I'm sure that they're doing it right now, but we don't, don't, we just forget, don't know about it, because forget, we don't have any any means to, to follow what these people are doing.
0: Don't forget. And that thirdly, it, uh, yes, okay. And
1: thirdly, and thirdly, look, what we learned from the archives is that there, were, there was much activity regarding the weaponization that we were not aware of, and we cannot even today say what was exactly going on there. We know about uh, anthropogenic uranium found in and in, in Abadeh uh, two locations that were not uh, uh, disclosed by the Iranians at the time and uh, never as a matter of fact until we find the archive and we know that there was much much more progress done in Parchin beyond what we knew that uh, was taking place over there with the detonator that they were they were checking in, in Parchin so we know that they were dealing with this uh, idea of uh, uh, weaponization back then, and they are probably doing not only probably they are doing dealing with it right now, and so, so I'm if, sure that they make progress. If I
0: try to analyze what you just said, uh, as as a senior uh, intelligence uh, officer uh, formerly, uh, and an expert, uh, that it's a lot more difficult to follow and to get intelligence about uh, weaponization than about uh, the the uh, uh, uranium enrichment stuff, but. On the other hand, you forget, you you do not forget, but I want to mention that they lost their major scientist, the the founding father of this whole weaponization program. So maybe this is something that is uh, causing them a delay. So at least I I hope so, but I want to proceed and ask you in light of the fact that the US administration is not keen on engaging and uh, is distancing itself from warmongering on Iran, what policy should Israel adopt if you were a head of intelligence these days? What advice would you give to the Prime Minister, Defense Minister, and Foreign Minister Bennett Gantz Lapid?
1: Well, fortunately, I'm not there, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I would say that uh, it's, it's not about being warm-mongering. It's, uh, it's being uh, committed to protecting uh, Israel from... Uh, very dangerous threat in the future. And uh, the way to do that is as much as we can uh, with clandestine activities and uh, cyber activities, of course, we should do that in order to slow down the progress that the Iranians are making and, and prevent them from uh, getting the capability to produce nuclear weapons. That's uh, the most important thing that we, we need to do because here's the big difference between us and the Americans. The Americans, most of the time, sometimes they say the right thing, but most of the time they say that Iran should not have nuclear weapons and they would not allow to have nuclear weapons. But for us, the important thing is to prevent Iran from having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. We don't want to wait until after they have the capability and then uh, pray that they would not use this capability in order to produce the weapons. That's why our time to work is earlier than the time that the Americans probably would uh, like to take, to take action. And because of that, we have to do that now. Now to do it uh, with a kinetic activity is, is problematic right now, as long as they don't cross a certain uh, clear red line that, and we have not even declared of any specific red line, unlike we did in the past. So uh, it's very problematic to do that right now. I think that therefore that what I, what I would advise is to take uh, any preparations needed in order to be able to take the kinetic action when necessary, and in the meanwhile, to take uh, other options like, uh, as I said, clandestine and uh, deniable uh, actions uh, so that the uh, project will be slowed down.
0: Things that, uh, according to the foreign media, we're doing uh, more than 20 years now. And uh, I think in... uh... You in know, in in, in in I think that we succeeded, you know, Israel is uh, trying to fight the, the nuclear uh, Iranian uh, uh, project since 1999 and maybe before and they, they still don't have it, so maybe it's a success. But I want to ask you about the criticism that is being voiced in Israel in recent weeks over militant and boastful declarations by, by senior security figures. It started with the new Mossad chief, Dedi Barnea. And continued last week uh, with the incoming Air Force commander, Tomer Barr, in an interview uh, he gave uh, the mass circulation the or paper. On one hand, this boasting is uh, unnecessary. On the other hand, uh, since no one else in the world is willing to place a military option on the agenda, and Israel is the only country in the world actively fighting Iran these days, maybe these declar- declarations uh,
1: do serve some purpose. I think they do. I think they uh, there in order to make everybody take into account the possibility that Israel will take military action uh, or other action against the Iranian project. And this is something that everybody has to take into the, the way he analyzes the situation, and what positions he adopts. In the past, for example, like 10 years ago, we were asked actually by the, uh, by the Americans, and some people think that the situation is very similar today, that we were asked by the Americans to uh, go to China and to explain to them that if they don't support the pressure on Iran, Israel will be forced to act, and then it will be against uh, Chinese interest. I think the situation is very similar today. I think Russia, China, definitely the Europeans, when they look at Israel, uh, Preparing itself to such an operation, showing its uh, self confidence in the success of its operation, they have to take this into account. And uh, regardless of what, uh, what is going to be the real result of something like that, they have to take into account that Israel is going to act. And if, if it does, the implications of that on uh, the stability in the Middle East and the, the entire world are going to be immense. And uh, that's uh, something that has to be taken into account. And uh, I think it should be taken by the account by all the players, including Iran. So we see, that we see how the Iranians are reacting with the uh, threats uh, of retaliation and so on and so forth. This is totally expected. And, uh, but they have to take into account that Israel will not uh, remain uh, idle if uh, they make progress and get closer to having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. Aren't we too late
0: to block Iran's nuclear uh, program? According to Ehud Barak's definition last decade, the Iranians are already deep in their, what we call immunity zone, as they, uh, we call it, meaning that they, their infrastructure is spread out all over their huge country and they have already acquired the know-how. Would you already define Iran as a nuclear threshold state?
1: you know the threshold is, is not uh, one thin line it's a, it's a space and they have already entered i would say the the special the threshold uh, space but they are still in the beginning of it and uh, i i think that we can still have an impact on the, on the program because it's a link and if you find the weak links then you uh, can have an impact on the program and then you can uh, deal with the, with the other elements you know, that comprise the, the entire uh, uh, system. And I think that we are. It's, uh, it's becoming late, but it's not too late. And uh, as I said, they're already in the in uh, threshold uh, area, but they've not crossed the threshold area. And uh, we still have time, not much. And, uh, and yes, what they're trying to do right now, as I explained, is to uh, get themselves deeper and deeper into this threshold zone. It's uh, by accumulating the 60% 60 enriched uranium and accumulating the 20% enriched uranium, they are getting there. Uh, Let let me remind you that uh, in 2012, when Netanyahu was speaking in the uh, General Assembly of the United Nations with this uh, very famous chart, what he said was that if the Iranians are going to have 250 kilograms of uh, uranium enriched to 20%, for us, it's going to be a red line. So he he didn't say that we have to to wait until they have 90% of uranium. They are very close to the equivalent of that line today. And uh, much has changed since then. And Israel doesn't look at that uh, today necessarily as a red line, but we are definitely inside this area, this zone in which the Iranians getting closer to the point where Israel cannot wait any longer. Some in Israel,
0: especially those associated with the defense minister Gantz and maybe even foreign minister Lapid are saying that Israel must be careful not to make Iran an Israeli problem. Gantz says Iran is uh, first and foremost a global problem, then a regional one, and only then an Israeli one. Do you agree?
1: Yes, uh, it would be great if the the world would have taken upon itself uh, the mission of preventing Iran from having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. Uh, and it should have been like that, and the, the world doesn't deny that it has a responsibility here, and uh, this is why it's not Israel sitting in the room it's uh, the EU 5, uh, the, the EU 3 plus 3, pl- plus, uh, plus three. Uh, but, uh, but uh, or the P5 plus 1, but uh, the, the, uh, the problem is that the feeling of everybody is that these guys are not going to go to the Extent necessary in order to actually prevent Iran from having the capability to produce nuclear weapons. That's that's what, uh, what's at stake. Definitely not the regional powers, but not even the international powers are not going to do that. And if Iran decides to to move in this direction, and it already decided to move, it is moving, uh, and nobody is going to do anything. Then it becomes an Israeli problem because the Iranians don't hide their intention to hit Dimona and to hit uh, other targets in Israel. So we have, to, we have to, take it, to, to take it upon ourselves to, to take care of, the, of this problem. I can tell you, you know, I, I was in Washington a uh, couple of times recently uh, or in the United States a couple of times recently, one of them in Washington. Uh, the message I heard, and I heard it also publicly just uh, in the last uh, day uh, from Senator uh, Rich, uh, is that uh, the, uh, eventually Israel will have to do what it has to do to protect itself, because we cannot wait forever for the Americans to do it. Now, of course, there is much negotiations and uh, the deliberations going on between Israel and the United States and the last visit by Jack Sullivan here, uh, the uh, national security advisor, uh, are very, all of these uh, negotiations are very important. And if we reach some agreements about what are the points uh, that uh, will make a difference in the future, then and we can convince the Americans to take upon themselves this, message, this uh, responsibility, it would be great. This was the dream back in 2012 uh, that uh, didn't materialize. And this is a dream again now. If it's going to come true, uh, I, I think right now the chances are still low that it will come true and that the United States will take it upon itself. Upon itself. We have to remember in the past, there was some understanding between Israel and the, and the United States that Israel will take responsibility for threats emanating for, from nearby countries, Syria, Egypt, the Palestinians, and, but second tier countries like Iraq.
0: Second and third.
1: tier countries like Iran will be dealt by the Americans. What happened was that in 1981, we came to the conclusion that we cannot count on the Americans and we had to deal with the uh, Iraqi reactor ourselves. And uh, and now it turns out that uh, even Iran is not something that we can count on the Americans to take care of, and we have to prepare ourselves to the capability, develop the capability to do it ourselves. For Israel, as a small country with less than ten million people, Uh, this is even though we have a great uh, military uh, capabilities, great military capabilities. I think it's uh, something that is really. Uh, extremely consuming the, the, the resources of, of, of a small country like ours, uh, and, and yet we have to do that.
0: It's, 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 I think it's stunning. You just said that you heard from senators, American senators, that eventually they assume that Israel will have to do what it, it has to do, in other words, to, to take care of this threat uh, by itself. Has to
1: do what it has to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, they didn't uh, say that we have to take. By the way, carry
0: you see, we're just talking about the, the 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 declarations by senior Israeli officials in the military officials, but and you see, the Iranians are retaliating with the, the... Here, this is our plan to, to bomb and destroy Dimona. So it's not a one-sided uh, mon- war-mongering war, they are uh, in the other side as well.
1: Sure, I think everybody understands that one of the reasons why it is becoming so uh, expensive to, to pre- prepare ourselves, so difficult to prepare ourselves for uh, the eventuality of confrontation with Iran, is because Iran has, has used the time just like we did. We bought the F-35 and the other stuff, uh, and developed the David sling and the, uh, and the Arrow uh, upgraded versions of the of the Arrow and so on and so forth, prepared ourselves to, to such an eventuality, so did they. And uh, what we see today, for example, the, the battle in, uh, in Syria is a battle between two sides that are trying to uh, prepare themselves to to the confrontation if it erupts uh, in the best way. And we are trying to prevent Hezbollah from having more precisely guided uh, rockets. And uh, the Iranians are trying to push these uh, uh, capabilities to Hezbollah again, and again, and again, again. in spite of all the efforts that uh, have failed, they keep trying. So uh, it's definitely, everybody understands that if we end up with a confrontation with, uh, with Iran, it might not be only the capabilities that Iran has that were uh, showcased uh, recently by by the Iranians in this last exercise. Uh, it's not only these exercise uh, these uh, capabilities, but also the capabilities Iran has given uh, and provided uh, its uh, proxies in Lebanon, in Syria, in Yemen, even in Yemen, definitely in Iraq, in Gaza. In Gaza, uh, we have to take all of these uh, capabilities into account. It's not going to be uh, an afternoon walk. We're we're not going going to have uh, any fun uh,
0: in this, uh, if it happens. Finally, I want to ask you, uh, Yossi Kupovas, how do you see events unfolding in the Middle East if and when Iran becomes a nuclear power or a nuclear threshold state? In light of the massive funding Israel is allocating uh, to this project right now, do you think Israel can recreate a real military option that would significantly delay the Iranians who are uh, already on the verge of uh, nuclearization.
1: First of all, as you said before, we have delayed this uh, program for for quite a long, for quite a long time when uh, when I was uh, head of uh, research uh, division in the intelligence in two thousand and two and I presented the the program after we managed to to have enough uh, pieces of the puzzle to say this is a military program, Uh, our assessment was that uh, if nothing goes wrong, they will be able to produce a nuclear weapon uh, within five years. Uh, As you said, it's been now almost 20 years, and they have not yet produced it. And by the way, we didn't know at the time that their plan was to have five bombs, actually four bombs, uh, and one for uh, testing. by 20, 2003 namely a year after we presented this uh, this program so it's uh, so definitely we, we gained a lot of time since then uh, can we prevent it uh, from materializing in the future i think we can i think we still can but it's becoming more and more difficult as you said and look coming back to your first question how is the middle is going to look like if they manage to uh, the Middle East is going to be much, much, much more difficult. And it's a difficult place uh, as it is. Uh, but it's going to be a much more difficult uh, place in, if Iran manages to, to gain the capability to produce nuclear weapons. Because in my mind, once they gain the capability, they will produce it uh, because uh, they're going to be vulnerable at that time. And uh, that's why they, uh, in my mind, are going to, to use it and uh, use the capability and uh, produce the weapons. And this would mean a uh, regional arms race. And this would mean much more uh, tendency, much higher uh, readiness of the proxies of Iran and of, of Iran itself to use force against uh, Israel and the other moderate countries in the region. Uh, this, this is a very dangerous situation, uh, including uh, the possibility of uh, threatening the, uh, to use the milit- their nuclear capabilities against Israel which is something that uh, they did in the past in 2003, Rafsanjani did that. Uh, So it's not something that we can uh, rule out and we have to uh, take this into account when we uh, assess what are the best options for
0: Israel. Yossi Kopofazer, it was a very interesting uh, conversation. and thank you very much again for joining us here in Neon Israel in Al-Monitor. Toda Yossi. Thank you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right after it with some
1: final thoughts. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at Sciences Po and Normal Soup in Paris, and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service El Monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to El Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including including On the Middle East with Andrew Parazeliti and Amber Zaman and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation.
0: Thank you for uh, staying with us. A uh, few very interesting uh, headlines from this uh, conversation with the Reserve Brigadier General, Jose Kupelvassel. Uh, First of all, I asked him about uh, the boastful and militant uh, declarations by senior security figures in Israel, the head of the Mossad, the incoming uh, chief of uh, the Air Force. And I asked him, and maybe these declarations do serve some point, some purpose. If no one else is putting this uh, what we call in, uh, a military uh, reliable uh, option on the table, we have to do it. And actually, I also think Professor agreed with this uh, thesis. He said that uh, there is an advantage uh, in, in these uh, declarations, and he said that in the past, the Americans used the Israeli war mongering. I think it meant uh, 2010, 11, 12, in order to affect to or to press uh, China, Russia, and the Europeans. And then they, it, they were able to, uh, to put the, the very heavy uh, sanctions on Iran. And we are talking on the previous uh, leg of uh, negotiations before the JCPOA. When I asked him about the options, uh, the relevant options right now between the, the United States and the superpowers and Iran, he said that he preferred an option that is not on the table, uh, which is getting uh, a longer and stronger agreement. But he agreed that this option is uh, not in our uh, menu. So from the whatever we have on the table, he preferred the collapsing of negotiation, and maybe then heading to a new line of uh, sanctions and the renewed pressure on Iran. The most interesting thing he uh, said uh, that uh, during his last uh, m- tour of meetings in, the, in Washington, he heard from senators, I think he mentioned the Senator, senator Rich, that uh, eventually Israel will have to do what it, ha- what it has to do. He did not want to go into details, but when you say something like this, you mean that you are on your own and the um, Israeli military option is the last resort and there is a a chance that we will have eventually to use it. I asked him if uh, Iran is already a nuclear threshold state and he said that uh, it is becoming late, but uh, not too late to stop it. The Iranians are close to the red line of uh, becoming a threshold uh, state or to the threshold area. But they did not uh, cross this red line yet. And but, but as he said, they are getting there. And talking about red lines, he mentioned the red line that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, uh, issued in uh, one of his speeches, I think, in the United Nations in 2012, when he said that uh, the Israeli red line is when the Iranians will hold... 250 kilograms of 20% uh, enriched uranium, and right now, said Yossi they're already there. They, what they have is equivalent to this red line. So I think they're crossing red line after red line, but they did not uh, uh, reach the real red line yet. I hope you uh, found this conversation interesting. And I hope to found you find you here next week, the same time, the same place on Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.